Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Ariana Prail. After more than a decade as a lawyer, Julie DeCaro thought she had landed a dream job as a sports radio host. But on the job, she experienced a toxic work environment, one where she constantly had to prove herself as a woman commenting on sports. In her book, Sidelined, Sports, Culture, and Being a Woman in America, DeCaro lays bare the treatment of women both on and off the sports field, from sexism to internet trolls to pervasive misogyny. There's a segment of people who want to watch sports and not think about any of this stuff. And they are angry that you are bringing it up and making them think about it when they view sports as an escape. DeCaro, who's currently a senior editor at the sports news site Deadspin, joins us next on Forum to talk about her book and much more after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. If you want a microcosm of of what it means to be a woman in America, look at the sports world. That's according to our guest, Julie DeCaro, who is a sports journalist, senior writer and editor at Deadspin and a former attorney. Her new book is called Sidelined, Sports, Culture and Being a Woman in America, which puts a spotlight on the misogyny and gender inequality women face in sports and sports media. Julie DeCaro, welcome to Forum. Hi, thanks for having me. So I want to kick things off with some context for our listeners. I'm going to quote these stats as outlined in your book. Uh, Per the Women's Media Center, sports desks at 75 of the nation's newspapers and online news sites earned a B-plus for racial diversity, a D-plus for gender and racial diversity combined, and a sixth consecutive F for lack of gender equity, according to the Racial and Gender Report Card commissioned by the Associated Press Sports Editors. You add, additionally, when it comes to print media, women report on sports 10% of the time, which means 90% of the time sports are reported on by men. So this is the reality the landscape you take on in your book. It's one you know intimately. Up until last year, you worked in sports talk radio. Can you tell us about getting your first job in sports radio? Yeah, I was I was thrilled because I sort of fell backwards into it. I had been um, practicing law and then I had sort of been blogging on the side and I was lucky enough to get my blog picked up by the Chicago Tribune. It was a Chicago Cubs blog. And, um, you know, I had gone to college wanting to do sports talk radio and specifically wanting to do play by play for the Chicago Cubs, but just couldn't see how to get there from where I from where I was from, you know, graduating journalism school. So it was really fortuitous the way it happened. You know, I had someone send me an email and say, you know, we're starting a sports talk radio station and we'd like you to be part of it. So that was great. Um, 
once I got there, though, you know, women were in very limited defined roles. Um, you know, we were update anchors. There were plenty of guys who had never hosted before, but they were hosting and they hired three women. We were all update anchors, which means, you know, we break in at the top and bottom of the hour with the scores and any breaking news. And then, you know, you turn your mic off for another half hour, which is a great job. And there's plenty of people that, that love that job and are very good at it. It just shouldn't be the only job. And we find in sports talk media and sports media across the board, a, a lot of women are, uh, you know, limited to these sort of sideline positions um, where you can report the news, you can regurgitate facts, you cannot offer your opinion, you cannot, you know, smash through a glass ceiling and host your own show. And it's been like that for quite some time across the industry. And when did you kind of first experience the sexism that became a hallmark of working in sports journalism? Well, I think, you know, right from the beginning, um, I know that the women working at the first stage, the first sports talk station I was at would frequently ask if, you know, when someone is out, can we host, can we fill in and start getting some repetition hosting, um, you know, and we're frequently denied. Um, it took me several years at my last station to work up to being able to host my own show. So I think that right off the bat, there's this idea that you have to prove yourself um, before you're allowed in that role where a lot of guys are allowed to step into that role pretty much right off the bat. Um, and then I think the, the online harassment and the, the harassment that comes from the audience is, is a whole other thing that women deal with. And I, I think a lot of us have experience with that, particularly if you're talking about you know, hot button issues, if you're talking about race in sports or gender equality in sports or LGBTQ rights in sports, um, you know, you tend to get a lot of backlash. And beyond that, uh, pretty much every woman I spoke to, and I know I felt this way when I was working in, in the medium, you cannot make a mistake. Um, if you make a mistake, you have made a mistake because you are a woman and you don't know anything about sports and you shouldn't have your job and you're some kind of a diversity hire. Whereas, you know, men were made mistakes and laughed it off and kept going. So coming from law, which is by no means perfect, but at least people know what the general rules are surrounding the way men and women have to treat each other by and large, although there's certainly exceptions. Um, you know, right off the bat, it was pretty clear to me that things in this industry were much different than they had been in the legal profession. Did you have any idea it was going to be like this going into it? Was there any kind of preview that the experience was going to be that way? Um, you know, I think before that, you know, in 2013, before I got into the industry, I had written um, a piece for, for Deadspin, the site I work for now, um, talking about the, the allegations of sexual assault against Jameis Winston and talking about my own sexual assault experience in that context. And, you know, what had happened was at the time people had been saying, well, if, if she was assaulted, then why did she text him the next day? If she was assaulted, why didn't she go to the police? These are all proofs that she's lying. And I, I found her actions to be very similar to mine after I was raped. So I, I wrote a story about it for Deadspin. And um, that was the first time that I really had just mass online harassment come down on me like a nuclear bomb. And it was still a couple more years until I got into sports talk radio. But but I think that that was a, a look into the world um, that I wasn't entirely prepared for. And it was that trolling and harassment that actually inspired a campaign in 2016 that you co-launched hashtag more than mean, which won a number of awards, including a Peabody. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I had written a piece for Sports Illustrated um, about the vitriol that women in sports talk media get. And 
Um, it, you know, it made a little bit of a splash. People talked about it for a few days. And, um, you know, then in a couple of days it's over and, and suddenly, you know, everything's right back to the way it was. So I got an email from the guys who conceived this. Uh, they worked for a podcast called Just Not Sports. And they uh, had this idea to do sort of a riff off Jimmy Kimmel mean tweets video where we would have guys read the tweet, the mean tweets to myself and to another reporter, Sarah Spain from ESPN. And it would show, you know, it would start off kind of funny and then it would get progressively darker and darker, illustrating the kinds of tweets that we, you know, and, and messages that we actually have to deal with. And so, um, you know, we, we shot the video. Um, I said yes right away. We shot the video. Uh, we had no idea it was going to blow up the way it did or have the impact that it did. It's got millions of, of views on uh, YouTube and, you know, people still bring it up to me all the time. But it was funny because, uh, you know, and I was, Sarah and I were just talking about this yesterday on Twitter that. I think watching the men in that video get increasingly upset as they're having to say these horrific things to Sarah and myself was really what impacted people. We went on, you know, Sarah and I would, would travel around and talk about the video and people would ask us, are those guys okay? Did you check in with them? Are they, you know, that was really horrible what you did to them. And I think that while the video raised consciousness of the kind of garbage that women in sports talk media have to wade through on a daily basis just to do their jobs that what really resonated with people was that was watching men become upset and that women being upset just don't have the same emotional impact on people that you know we're hysterical or over exaggerating or we just need to get a thicker skin but seeing men be affected seemed to really hit home with people and what about the companies that cover sports do they are they were they help are they helping to protect female sports journalists and and players from all of this vitriol i know you mentioned with the campaign it seemed like your employer at the time was not super uh vocal in in backing no. or supporting the effort yeah sarah and i so sarah works for espn and we had very different experiences uh espn sort of embraced the campaign immediately um you know they uh, talked about it on a whole bunch of their shows and they have um, many more resources available to their employees when they find themselves in this situation. I was with, at the time it was CBS radio. Uh, they were not interested. Um, you know, they offered, Oh, do you need us to have security walk you to your car? And, and that was not what I needed. What I needed was to have employer and colleagues who backed me up, who said, you know, I know what you're going through. This is terrible. What can we do? And, and that was not the reaction that I got. Uh, by and large, and I think if you look at what happened to Felicia Sumnes at the Washington Post after she, she put out a tweet after Kobe Bryant's death and subsequently wound up fleeing to a hotel because of death threats, women and, and it's it's largely women that this happens to are uh, sort of left twisting in the wind by employers it's sort of looked at as our problem to solve and you know if we we all these social media policies at work right and and they're sort of to the effect of if you say something that we don't like we can discipline you for it because that affects us but if you are just doing your job and you're being harassed and attacked as a result that's your problem and that's sort of, by and large, where we still are with most employers today. And are there male allies in the industry at this point? 
there there are male allies, or at least I would say there are men who consider themselves allies. Um, I think whether their female colleagues consider them allies is probably another story. I mean, like certainly every woman I talked to had one or two men at work who were real cheerleaders for them, who pushed them forward and tried to help them succeed. And many of the women who have reached sort of the upper echelons of, of sports talk media will say, you know, it was because of this producer who advocated for me along the way. Um, you know, I heard someone say once that you have to have a cheerleader in this industry and it goes doubly so for women that you really need to have a guy on your side who will mention your name in the room when it's not being mentioned. That said, um, you know, I had a lot of my male colleagues who I love dearly uh, say to me privately, you know, oh, I saw what's happening to you. That's terrible. I feel so bad for you. But never said anything publicly, never went on Twitter and said, hey, jerk, stop attacking my friend. Um, you know, and, and men who would say, oh, I saw what happened to you. You should go to HR. But none who said, I'll go to HR with you and I'll sit there with you and I'll support you and tell them what I saw. That's the kind of support that women need. And I think that that is what's really lacking in the workplace. And then otherwise, I know you mentioned that there are whisper networks amongst um, the women journalists to kind of have each other's back. Yeah, I think, you know, for a long time, uh, it, it was it was difficult in this industry. And certainly, I think a lot of us go through the phase where you see other women as competition, because you know, there is only going to be one woman on a, a show or a panel or a podcast. Um, they're not going to put two, three, four women on here, right? There's going to be one token woman and a bunch of men. So everybody wants to be that one woman. And I think that when you are worried about getting your seat at the table, it's very easy to look at the other women around you as your competition instead of your allies. And, and I feel like over the course of the past five years, maybe 10 years, we've really started turning a corner on this where, where there are, you know, Facebook groups, secret Facebook groups and group texts and all kinds of whisperings going on behind the scenes where women are really doing an excellent job supporting each other, not just publicly, but behind the scenes as well. So when we talk about the Whisper Network, one of the things I talk about it, my job was I never knew when there were openings coming up. All the guys knew because they would hear it from their Whisper Network, but I never knew. And in fact, I would find out sometimes from a friend who was at another station that someone at my place was leaving or that there was going to be an opening. So well, I'm, um, I'm going to break in because we're coming up on a break, but we'll have we'll be able to talk more about that. Julie DeCaro, author of Sideline Sports Culture and Being a Woman in America. She's also a senior writer and editor at Deadspin. And we welcome you, our listeners, to join the conversation, 866-733-6786, or email questions to forum at kqed.org. More after the break. This is Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. We're talking about the experiences of women in sports and sports media with Julie DeCaro, author of Sidelined, Sports, Culture, and Being a Woman in America. She's also a senior writer and editor at Deadspin. And we're talking with you, our listeners. Are you a woman who plays sports, who loves to watch and talk about sports? Do you or have you worked in sports media in some way? What's been your experience? And who are some of the women covering sports today you really enjoy hearing or reading? Give us a call now at 866 6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. So Julie DeCaro, in your book, you write about some of the early fights women journalists battle just to be able to do their job well. And that centered around access to the locker room interview. Uh, can you tell the story of Melissa Ludke? Yeah, so Melissa Ludke uh, in 1976 was working for Sports Illustrated, and she uh, was very young, as, as most of the women covering sports were at the time, um, and some of the biggest names in sports. So Christine Brennan, Leslie Visser, Claire Smith, I mean, these women that, that are absolute icons in the industry, um, were sort of making progress in some place, getting into locker rooms, not so much in others. Uh, you know, I think the first women in a locker room anywhere got into the NHL All-Star Game back in 1975, um, mostly because no one was really in charge at the NHL All-Star Game. So Melissa had sort of, in Major League Baseball, been making inroads with the Yankees. And, uh, you know, the manager would let her come in the locker room and he, Billy Martin would let her sit at his desk or sit in his office. Um, and she had been sort of slowly trying to, you know, win over the Yankees by being really professional and doing her job. And and she had. And, and so she was being allowed into the Yankees locker room. And she was covering the World Series uh, against uh Gosh, who are they playing? Maybe, the, maybe, oh, the Dodgers. They're playing the Dodgers. And, uh, you know, Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner, stepped in after she'd been covering the Yankees all season and she had made it okay with the Dodgers. Tommy John advocated for her, went into his teammates and said, you know, is it okay if we have a woman come in? I think it's fine. And so uh, she was ready to go in and do her job covering the World Series. And uh, Bowie Kuhn stepped in and, and said, you're not allowed to do this. We're not allowing women in the locker room. We haven't talked to the players' wives their kids are going to be humiliated at school and we have to get cover-ups for all the players. And so she sued major league baseball in 1976 and she won. And after that teams who had been bringing players outside the locker room after everyone else was done to talk to the women reporters started realizing that they were going to have to make some changes. And so it was really her lawsuit against Major League Baseball that called made the other leagues sort of see the writing on the wall and open the doors pretty wide for women to go in. Well, let's go to a caller. Leslie in San Francisco, you're on. Hi, um, I just wanted to uh, talk about like the a dynamic that I noticed like in my workplace and just kind of generally in workplaces that the guest referenced like how women that were successful had um, gotten there after a man had spoke up for them in the room and I think it's always really positive and great to have the allies and I just wonder how and when we'll get to the point where the woman in the room will be the one able to speak up and get other women then into the room because I don't always see that and but always grateful for the opportunities uh, getting let in the door. But uh, interesting to see the dynamic played out in this instance as well. Yeah, thanks for that comment, Leslie. This is something you address too in the book, right, Julie DeCaro? 
Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have enough women in positions of hiring and firing and uh, promoting and being able to be the decision makers in sports media. At the same time, you know, we had a woman come take over my station. And one of the first things she did was fire all the women there. So, you know, it, it's it, you're right. It will be great when when women don't feel in the industry like they have to have a man vouch for what they say. Uh, that's absolutely right. And whether you know, the book wasn't just about sports. You know, it's sports is sort of the lens of the microcosm that we're looking at to talk about issues that affect women across the board in every workplace in the United States and Canada and Europe around the world. So, um, yeah, I mean, and that's an issue that we all have, right? That, that you can say something and then your boss will look at a guy and say, is that right? Is she right? You know, that kind of thing. And we really need to get to the point where we trust women, trust their opinions, trust their expertise, trust their judgment in a way that I don't think happens to the degree it should in workplaces right now. A reoccurring pattern you document in your book is how many men in sports and sports media land on their feet after credible claims of improper behavior, whether it's sexual assault or harassment. So many of your stories ended with, you know, they're still a regular on this network or they were hired by such and such team a month or a year later. So I'm going to ask you one of the questions you pose in your book. Why hasn't sports media had its Me Too moment? Yeah, it's a, it's one of the issues that I think women in this industry talk about a lot, or at least they talk about it a lot with me. I know that when the Me Too movement really kicked off and, you know, 2017, and we saw it going just through industry after industry, we all sort of waited. And we had a few fits and starts. Um, you know, the NFL network was sued by a makeup artist and was later was sued by someone uh, who also worked in their wardrobe department. Um, and so we were like, okay, here we go. And then it just sort of stopped. And it's not that there are not Me Too stories. We know there are. Everyone knows who the men are in this industry that you need to stay away from or who have a history of this kind of thing. But there just aren't enough women, in my opinion. The reason that we haven't had a, a larger Me Too movement in this industry is that we don't have enough women at any one outlet where everybody can go together and complain about a certain man. I mean, maybe at ESPN, but, you know... When I went to my job in Sports Talk Radio, my last station, I was the only woman there. And some days I didn't even see another woman unless I ran into someone in the bathroom. So now you're asking women who are in a pretty precarious position already where you feel like you're, you know, always sort of walking a line because you're the only woman there to be the ones to rock the boat and to go in and to complain and say, this is what happened to me and this is what this person did or said. Um, and I think it's a position that a lot of women who feel that they are just lucky have to have gotten their foot in the door in this industry anyway, aren't comfortable doing. So until we have a lot more women in the industry, I don't think we're going to have that kind of reckoning. Again, we're talking with Julie DeCaro, author of Sideline, Sports, Culture, and Being a Woman in America. And we're inviting you, our listeners, to join us. Are you a woman who plays sports, who loves to watch and talk about sports? Have you worked in sports media in some way? What's been your experience? And who are some of the women covering sports today you really enjoy hearing or reading? And even, even if you're not involved in sports, do any of the experiences we're discussing resonate with you? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. 6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And it's not just 
animosity and misogyny toward women journalists. It's also against women's sports, too. You write about the backlash you'd get for devoting 10 minutes of a three-hour show to talking about women's sports. Yeah, absolutely true. Um, I think that women are not seen, we're seen as outliers, uh, whether we're talking sports media or sports themselves. So even though, you know, I'm part of Gen X, a generation that was born after Title IX, uh, we, you know, I grew up playing sports as much as my brothers did, as much as my dad did, my cousins, you know, and there's a whole generations of girls that have, that have grown up with sports just as much a part of their lives as, as boys' lives. Unfortunately, um, you know, when it comes to watching pro sports or college sports, they're, there really is a feeling that, you know, women's sports are lesser. And, and I think it sort of pervades um, into sports media as well. Uh, you know, yeah, we just the saw women's what sports are boring narrative, right? Right. No one cares about women's sports. No one wants to watch women's sports. And we just saw what happened in the NCAA tournament, right? I mean, they had the biggest audience they've had, I think, ever um, watching the women's tournament. It was a terrific tournament. But when we see the accommodations they have, COVID tests they're getting, the kind of food they're eating, everything is really subpar compared to what the men are getting. Even their swag bags were pretty pathetic. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's reinforced by institutions like the NCAA um, and, and all the broadcast networks who don't put women's games on TV. It's, uh, it's a problem. Because, and especially they're leaving a lot of money on the table because we know the WNBA had a huge jump in viewership last summer. Uh, like I said, the women's NCAA tournament brought in a huge audience this time. The, the most watched soccer game ever in the United States was a women's soccer game. So I always sort of laugh when I hear people say that no one wants to watch women's sports or women's sports are boring because clearly there is an audience out there for this that is just not being tapped into. Well, this listener, Alex, writes and, um, kind of in this thread, women's sports consists of a lower level of competition from which men are excluded and women often demand equal pay for unequal performance. Mistreatment and harassment are never okay, but equal representation should hardly be expected in an industry that is by definition and at the explicit wish of women segregated. What's your response to Alex? Well, do you watch college basketball? I mean, that's a lesser level than the NBA. Does everything have to be NBA level for us to enjoy it? What about the Olympics? That's a lesser level. I, it's, it's ridiculous to me. I mean, our women's soccer team is the best soccer team in the world. And um, they're not playing against men. They're playing against other women. And, you know, if, if you've never given it a chance because you assume it's a lower level. I mean, I know people who say women's sports are boring. It's not as it's not as good as the men's game. But then we'll go watch high school basketball. That's also a, a lower level. So I don't know really what to say to those kinds of comments. If, you know, it's, to me, that is someone that, that doesn't watch and, and really is, you know, you're not going to change their mind. But um, it's, it's difficult for me to take that as seriously as a criticism because, you know, there's lots of things out there that people watch that don't rise to the level of, you know, NBA basketball. And actually, we have a cut of Megan Rapino testifying on Capitol Hill about um, equal pay and trying to achieve equal pay for the U.S. women's soccer team. Let's hear a bit of that. The United States women's national team has won four World Cup championships. We've won four Olympic gold medals on behalf of this great country. We've filled stadiums. We've broken viewing records. We've sold out our jerseys, all the popular metrics by which we are judged. And yet, despite all of this, we're still paid less than our male counterparts. For each trophy, of which there are many, for each win, for each tie, for each time we play, 
less. In fact, instead of lobbying with the women's team in our efforts for equal pay and equality in general, the U.S. Soccer Federation has continually lobbied against our efforts and the efforts of millions of people marginalized by gender in the United States. And if it can happen to us and it can happen to me with the brightest light shining on us at all times, it can and it does happen to every person who is marginalized by gender. That was Megan Rapino of U.S. Women's Soccer testifying on Capitol Hill in their fight for equal pay. And uh, Rapino has been in the news this week, too, kind of, um, around the Draymond Green tweets. And right. she was kind of pushing back on some of the mansplaining that he was doing on how women should grow women's <laughs> sports. And and that's kind of also another factor here, right, that the onus is on, you know, women to figure this out. Right. And, you know, no one is saying none of the WNBA players are saying I should be paid what, you know, Steph Curry's getting paid or I should be paid what KD's being paid. No one is saying that. What they're asking for is for people to invest in the game. Um, you know, you make more playing in the G League, the NBA G League, than you do playing in the WNBA right now. Um, so it, women are asking for, for the investment to put as much into their games as they have put into the men's games. So, you know, the NBA has been around, obviously, longer. The WNBA is farther down the road in terms of audience, revenue, all of those things, than the NBA was 25 years into their existence. In fact, the NBA almost went bankrupt in 1983. So... It's, it's difficult for me to say, if, to take the argument, you know, the men bring in more money, so they should be paid more. Seriously, when what you, you know, what we should do and what the NBA should have been doing all along is dumping as much into the women's game in terms of marketing, revenue, resources as they have the men's game. So let's do that for the next 30 years. And then let's see where the two leagues shake out. And, and I can tell you that, you know, during the, the women's NCAA tournament, there were so many people watching that game. My entire Twitter timeline was just full of NBA players and baseball players and all kinds of men, in addition to all the women, who were really enjoying watching those games. It was a terrific tournament. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Megan is exactly right. And, and I think the women's soccer team, the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, is the perfect example because this is a women's team who clearly is playing at a higher level than the men, who you know has not only qualified for international tournaments across the board, but wins them. There are household names on that team. I don't think people could name one player on our U.S. men's team right now. Maybe Christian Pulisic, probably not. Um, and, and yet, it's not only do they get less in pay, they play on inferior fields. They were having to travel everywhere by coach while the men were getting flown on private planes. They were staying in subpar hotels. Um, they had to double up with roommates where the men didn't have to do that. So it's, it's a treating of women's sports as lesser across the board. And on the topic of women athletes, let's talk about Serena Williams for a moment, tennis icon. You write, quote, perhaps no athlete in recent memory has endured as much abuse for longer than Serena Williams. Yeah. 
So, you know, I went back and I looked at some of the articles that have been written about Serena um, when she was young and her and Venus were coming up and they used to wear braids or they used to wear braids with beads in their hair. There were all kinds of comments about their hair constantly. Um, infamously, there were racial slurs hurled at them at Indian Wells. Uh, there have been other tennis players making fun of her body and body shaming her by stuffing their shorts and stuffing their bras to try to, you know, pretend they look like Serena. There are constant comments on her body, on her hair, on her skin color, um, you know, and even after what happened to her in the 2018 U.S. Open, there was a, an, a comic drawn of her um, in Australia that was just absolutely racist and yeah, this sexist. Yeah, match and, against Naomi Osaka, yeah. Yes, um, you know, and portrayed her with a pacifier in her mouth, throwing a temper tantrum, and she was drawn as this big hulking figure. Um, yeah, it, it's amazing to me how much she puts up with. And uh, she doesn't necessarily get credit for that. I mean, she gets credit for her tennis and she gets credit for how, you know, the way that, that she takes on social issues and talks about them. But I don't know if she gets enough credit for the thick skin that she's had to have. And yeah, and you and you talk about her in the context of your chapter around revolutionary anger and and women being able to express their anger when it comes up and not have to feel like they always have to, you know, contain themselves. Yeah. And it came up in the context of crying at work because I know so many women who say, when I get angry, I cry and I don't want to cry. I want to just be angry, but the tears just come and I can't do anything about it. And I talked with uh, Soraya Shamali in the book who wrote Rage Becomes Her about this idea that women are rewarded very early on for crying rather than raging. And um, it's something that we carry with us into being an adult. And when I saw Serena Williams crying in the 2018 U.S. Open because the referee was being unfair and accused her of cheating, I, I knew that feeling. I knew that, like, I am so angry because this is so unfair. But now I'm crying and I feel stupid. And now I'm going to get accused of trying to manipulate people with tears when really what I want to do is scream and yell and stamp my feet. But you women just don't have an outlet for that in America, in the workplace today. And so I think a lot of us really identified with Serena in that moment, because if even someone is successful with as big of a platform and as many powerful friends and as much wealth as Serena Williams, if, if she is in the same place we are, where she's going to be criticized for crying when she's angry, like, what hope do the rest of us have? Again, we're talking about the experiences of women in sports and sports media with Julie DeCaro, author of Sideline, Sports, Culture, and Being a Woman in America. She's also a senior writer and editor at Deadspin. We're also talking with you, our listeners. Are you a woman who plays sports or someone who loves to watch and talk about sports? Have you worked in sports media in some way? Share your experience with us. And let us know some of the women covering sports today you really enjoy hearing or reading. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. More of your calls and more with Julie DeCaro after the break. This is Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Draymond Green driving right down the lane. His layup misses, but James Wiseman there for the jam. Offensive rebound put back. But I think the exciting news is that Draymond Green went to the rim, went to the bucket. (laughs) Indeed. Did not attempt a field goal Friday against the Hawks. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. We're talking about the experiences of women in sports and sports media with Julie DeCaro, author of Sideline, Sports Culture and Being a Woman in America. And that was just a bit of Bay Area sportscaster Kate Scott calling the Warriors-Bulls basketball game last month. She led an all-women radio crew that game in celebration of Women's History Month and was the first woman to do play-by-play for a Warriors broadcast. And on that topic, Liana tweets, Brava to... Robin Herman, Doris Burks, Kate Scott, Susan Slusser, Ann Killian, Christine Brennan, you and other sports media trailblazers. Julie DeCaro. Yeah. Groups to be included in. (laughs) Yeah. So did you get a chance to catch uh, Kate Scott and, and crew doing that sports cast? I did. And I got to talk to Kate a couple days later on my own podcast about it. And, um, you know, I think we sort of share the idea that we love seeing all women booths like this. Um, it's terrific. Anything that normalizes women in this space and in the broadcast booth, especially, which has been a really difficult place for women to make their way into is great. But we need to do that more than once a year during Women's History Month. Right. Um, we want to get to the point where that is normal, where you turn on a game and you hear women calling a game and don't even think anything of it. Well, let's go to caller Mike in Union City. You're on. Hello, Ariana. Uh, Julie, I'm wondering what you think about the uh, recent, or I guess it's recent, uh, inclusion of women as managers of baseball teams, referees in NFL games, coaches of the 49ers, coaches of the Giants. Is that going to help the cause of women in media in the future? Or is it just a, I don't know, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it definitely helps. And for the same reason, right? I think that we need to see women as being part of the sports world, not part of our own separate sports world, but part of the sports world. And yeah, I mean, it's amazing to see Katie Sowers on the sideline or to see the two women that were coaching uh, during the Super Bowl for the Tampa Bay Bucks, um, to see women across the board. Rachel Folder is a hitting coach for the Chicago Cubs. There's a lot of women starting to make their way into the ranks of either the front offices or into the coaching staffs, which is, uh, again, you know, anytime that we can see women in being involved with sports and not think anything of it, that's where we're trying to get to, right? And especially when you see a coach like Becky Hammond, who by all appearances is the heir apparent to Popovich in uh, San Antonio, that when you see men listening to her, when you see her in the huddle and you see all these NBA stars listening to what she's saying, those are the kinds of images we need to have out there because that is what really affects the next generation. And I will say that, you know, the athletes coming up these days are much more used to seeing women in these roles. So as we progress and we're nowhere near as far along as we should be 40 years after women first went into locker rooms, But anytime we see women in those roles where they are sharing expertise with men and men are listening, 
um, and, and taking in what they have to say. That's good for all of us because it really is all interconnected. The entire sports space is a place where we feel and we have been marginalized. And so anything we do that normalizes us around sports is great for everyone across the board. And Rebecca writes, we shouldn't forget that the level of series competition and evaluation on actual skill level in several women's sports has only evolved recently. For example, ice skating and gymnastics were essentially beauty contests early on. Can you talk about, this makes me think of Title IX, can you talk about um, what you talk about um, at length in your book? Um, can you talk about Title IX's impact on, on women's sports? Yeah, I mean, Title IX was initially never meant to apply to sports, right? And so... Um, it was about women having equal access to educational opportunities. But once it was applied to sports, um, there's a lot more opportunities, I would say. I'm not going to say a ton of resources were dumped into women's sports, but certainly there were a lot more opportunities. And, you know, I like I said, I grew up not knowing that sports were something that were supposed to be for boys, um, that, you know, sports were something that I did and all my friends did. Um, as a former gymnast, it's been a while since they've been beauty contests. So <laughs> I'll just say that. But, um, but you know, you're right that, that there was a time when especially we did not appreciate women's athleticism, that we didn't appreciate women who were strong, that we always wanted to see young girls who were pretty and dainty and delicate, but not who were tough and strong. And so, you know, seeing the, the weight room example that happened with the W with the women's NCAA tournament, I think was a great example of this. The men have this state of the art weight room and the women get like six barbells and a couple yoga mats. Right. Um, if you've ever seen the women who play division one NCAA basketball, clearly these are women who lift serious weights. And, and she's absolutely right that it's only become recently, I think, that we've really started to appreciate women for being fast and strong and tough and, you know, all these characteristics that we associate with masculinity. Um, but, you know, women are competitive. Women are tough. Women get knocked down and get back up. Women do all the things that men do. And um, that's why it's so gratifying to see so many people watching U.S. women's soccer, U.S. women's hockey, U.S. women's, or excuse me, uh, the NCAA basketball, the WNBA, because you're seeing women as we've existed in our, you know, for a long time. It's just not necessarily been introduced to the sports world. More comments coming in. Beth writes, I'm a female athlete. I truly appreciate the representation of women in sports media, but there needs to be more female announcers. Shout out to the Golden State Warriors for having an all-female cast on the radio to celebrate National Women's History Month, but it should happen more than once a year, echoing what you had shared, Julie DeCaro. 100%. And Tara writes, in no other career or profession can someone make millions after committing sexual assault or harassment. The female victim is likely perceived as not important when compared to a man's talent and value in the NFL. Um, but that, that's another theme that that you address in your book is the either the just men's ability to kind of, yeah, have that value and talent um, yeah. on them and the women's voices are just drowned out. Right. And it's um, it, they're drowned out in a very specific way. Right. I mean, the way that it happens is you accuse someone a woman tries to say anonymous the either the lawyers or someone else close to the player finds a way to leak their name or get their name out there. Deshaun Watson's lawyers filed a motion uh, for these 22 women who are suing him to not be able to proceed anonymously yesterday. 
Um, we've seen this in a lot of cases against uh, athletes. And, and the reason is, I mean, they, they know who these women are, right? I mean, Deshaun Watson allegedly hired all of them. Um, there are text messages that we saw come out yesterday. So it's not like they don't know who the women suing him are. Um, so once you get past that, there's really only one reason to want someone's name out there. And it's what has happened to every victim who's been named out there. Do they get attacked online? Um, many of them wind up having to retreat off social media. Uh, many of them wind up having to move to different cities and keep their heads down and not let anyone know where they are. Because uh, for whatever reason, there are these people who identify very strongly with male athletes and uh, who see any woman who accuses them of anything as someone who is A, trying to just, you know, make a cash grab and B, uh, someone who is trying to bring down someone who they feel very close to. Uh, it's interesting because I always want to say to people, these, these guys are not your friends. They're people you see on TV. But if you see the reaction, for example, when um, a, when a woman steps out and accuses Derek Rose or Ben Roethlisberger or any of the men that have been accused of this, the reaction on social media is pretty swift and damning. And so, you know, that's this is this is typically how it happens. The woman comes forward. Social media descends on her like a bomb. They leak her name. They leak her employer. Um, she winds up going dark. And then a port, at some point is so traumatized she doesn't want to proceed anymore. And so we never get any resolution to the case. Uh, the fans decide that she was lying all along. And then the athlete goes on and everyone acts like nothing happened. And it happens over and over and over. Well, listener Liana writes, sports writing was my passion in high school. I was the first female sports editor on my high school newspaper, and I wanted a career in the field. After an incident in a clubhouse manager's office, I made the decision to leave my dream behind after facing harassment, abuse, and a lack of support. I know you document um, a lot of women who are in the field and navigating it, um, but what about the voices of those of who have maybe left and are no yeah. longer? Yeah, it's 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 a really difficult thing. I mean, one of the the downsides of the Me Too movement is you know, not the downside, but one of the more depressing things about the Me Too movement is you think for every woman who came forward and accused this person, how many women just left and just went and found something else to do? And you know, one of the 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 goals of online harassment is to silence the women who are speaking out and the the really disappointing thing about it, and I do this myself, is that you wind up self-censoring. You wind up not speaking out on issues you want to because you know the blowback is going to be more than you can handle that day. So there's been a, you know, a quieting of, of women uh, when it comes to sports across the board. And I'm so sorry that that happened to the texter. I, you know, certainly this book is not just full of stories from me. I, I talked to women all throughout the industry who shared their stories. Um, and we know that we have lost a lot of our sisters along the way to these kinds of incidents. And um, that was part of the reason I wanted to write the book, because it's not just my story. It is a story of so many of us. And it is part of the reason why why there are so few women in the field. Again, we're talking about the experiences of women in sports and sports media with Julie DeCaro, author of Sideline Sports Culture and Being a Woman in America. She's also a senior writer and editor at Deadspin. So where do we go from here? What will make the industry better in your eyes? 
Well, I think, first of all, like I said earlier, we need to have far more women involved, not just in front of the camera, but behind a camera, producing in the producer's booth on radio, um, in those program director decisions where you're deciding who goes on the air, who's hired and fired, who gets to call what game. Um, and, you know, like I said, it, it can't just be women because there are women who want to be the only people in the room. And women certainly aren't the only ones marginalized in this industry. So we need people in those positions who are really committed to inclusion and equity, whether it's women, whether it's members of the LGBTQ. TQ community, whether it's non-binary folks or trans folks or black men and black women or other men and women of culture, we just need media that looks more like the fan base so that we have some kind of diversity of reporting and diversity of opinion. And we can actually have conversations around sports. You know, sports is where we work through so many of our issues in this country, whether it's Jackie Robinson integrating baseball before America was integrated or Muhammad Ali bringing the Vietnam War debate into people's living rooms or Billie Jean King fighting for for gender rights or the Black Lives Matter movements of last summer. Sports is where we talk about so many of our issues as a society and we need to have more voices in that conversation. It can't just be white men. So the thing that is really going to we're really going to turn the corner when we start seeing people that get into a position, say, as a, a program director for a radio station, looks at the lineup and says, why is our sports talk lineup all white men? Where are the women? Where are the people of color? Where are the members of the LGBTQ community? That that's really what we need. And I think that's when we'll start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But for right now, um, you know, everyone except for white men is still kind of kicking inclined to get into this industry. Well, let's go to caller Allison in Oakland. Allison, you're on. Hi, thank you so much, um, Ariana and Julie. Thank you so much for the book and the conversation. Um, I just wanted to call in and say how empowering it was um, as a woman, as a sports fan, to watch the women's NCAA tournament this year. Um, see Stanford win and just see so many women leave it on the line. Um, and everyone in the industry, women announcers as well, um, everyone who it, who it takes to put on a tournament of that level. Um, and I think there's so much more that we can do. And as fans, you know, we're here, we're kind of waiting for it to happen. Um, but I just, I felt so empowered watching the tournament this year. Thanks for sharing that reflection with us, Allison. And Julie DeCaro, what are some of the women, who are some of the women sports journalists you want to shout out to kind of be aware of the work of and any up and coming voices you're excited about? I'm personally loving Candace Parker on the NBA on TNT, who also oh, plays so in the good. WNBA for Chicago Sky. I don't even watch yes. the NBA that closely anymore, but if a clip of her shows up on my Twitter feed, I'll pause to watch her analysis because she's really good. And I like that she also doesn't take any mess from Shaq. <laughs> She is really great. She she roasts Shaq on pretty much a nightly basis whenever she's on. She is so, so good. You guys out there in the Bay Area are so lucky because you have uh, Christina Carl out there heading up the San Francisco Chronicle Sports Department. You've got uh, Susan Slusser and Ann Killian, who I adore. Jessica Kleinschmidt out there covering baseball for you guys as well. So I'm really envious of, of all the great women you've got out there. I, I think Kate Scott is is terrific. Um, I, Jamel Hill, I am, I'm still a huge fan of. I think yes. her voice is very much needed in this industry. Uh, there's It's amazing how many women you hear talk and you're like, wow, she's so good. I can't believe this is the first time I've heard her. Um, Carrie Champion, I'm a huge fan of as well. I think she is very real in the way she talks about sports. I, I love Maria Taylor. Um, 
there, gosh, there's so many. I know I'm leaving tons of people out. My podcast partner, Jane McManus, who um, is a head of the Center for Sports Broadcasting at Marist University, and she just has a very adult, uh, great take on absolutely everything. Um, there's so many of us out there. And um, it's, you know, the more you start following women, the more you find other women. And um, I'm really proud of the work that, that so many of us are doing. And what's your advice to future women sports journalists? I know you write about how whenever you're asked this question, it's always kind of an awkward or, or kind of a weird one for you to think of the best answer for. Um, but what are some of the, the gems that you try to pass on? So one is get a really thick skin because um, you're going to need it. Um, number two is get a group of girlfriends or women in the industry, non-binary folks that, that um, will be there to support you because at the end of the day, the only ones are going to understand what you're going through are, are people like you. Um, so, you know, I, I have a really uh, a group of, of girlfriends that I'm really grateful for who pick me up, dust me off and point me back in the direction where I came uh, whenever I get knocked down. And the other thing I tell young women is to get used to asking for what you want. We don't do that as women as much as we should. Um, if you want to, if you are an update anchor and you want to host your own show, make sure your boss knows that and ask for opportunities. Um, if you are not making as much, go as your male counterparts, go in and ask why. I think that too often women are taught to not be pushy, not be bossy, don't interrupt, um, and certainly don't go in and demand a raise to, to be on par with the men. And it's something that we as women really need to get used to doing. It's difficult, especially for my generation and especially for so many of us who feel like we're just lucky to have a job at all. Um, but, you know, men do that kind of thing without even thinking about it. And I think that we've got to step outside our comfort zones a little bit and, and, and be pushy and be self-promoter and, and, and interrupt and, you know, be obnoxious sometimes with your opinions. Those are, those are the ways that we carve out space for ourselves. And you talk about too how just having women's broadcasts on sometimes in your household and you'll observe your kids to see, you know, if they're really noticing like, oh, is this yeah. a difference? And, and you say, it's like, oh, no, you're actually starting to define a new normal for them and their generation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a generation growing up right now that it, they hear Doris Burke's voice and they hear Ke uh, Beth Moens. They hear Jessica Mendoza. They hear Lisa Byington and Kate Scott. And they don't think anything of it because that's just they've women have been there since they started watching sports. And that is where I really have hope that the kids that don't look up when they hear Hannah Storm and Andrea Kramer calling an NFL game, because that's just normal for them. Um, that is that is really where uh, I feel like we're going to make a lot of progress. Julie DeCaro, author of Sideline Sports, Culture, and Being a Woman in America. She's also a senior writer and editor at Deadspin. Thanks for joining us this hour. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. And thanks to our listeners for your questions and comments. More Forum with Mina Kim coming up. I'm Ariana Prail. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.